Well, welcome everybody. It is good to be with you. My name is Corey. I've got the privilege of serving on staff here as one of the pastors and part of the teaching team. It's good to be with you today as we are wrapping up, closing out our summer series, The Ten Commandments. Now, I like to think that as I've gotten older, that I've matured, that I've grown up over the years, that some of the immaturity that was in my life has moved on. And I am happy to tell you that that is mostly true. You see, yeah, I still honk my horn and wave my hands at other drivers, but I, I don't flip them off anymore. I think that's good. I, I don't, you know, I don't engage in pointless online arguments anymore. I don't find the same kind of humor funny that I used to in my younger days. I don't even laugh every time that I see somebody get hurt because they are doing something stupid. Look at me all grown up. But there are still things that get me. There are still things that, that bring out some of that immaturity in my life. One of those things is that whenever somebody tells me that I can't do something, my initial immediate response is, well, yeah, why not? Who are you to tell me what I can or cannot do? See, even though I have grown up, there is always more growth potential. And over the summer, we've been diving into the 10 commandments, the 10 commands, the 10 rules that show us the heart of God. And every week we've rallied around the truth that we are called to shape our hearts to more reflect the heart of God. And through doing that, we are gonna be able to be more effective in loving God and in loving others, which is what we are called to do. And I don't know about you, but this summer has been a great reminder for me to constantly be evaluating how I'm doing at this whole faith thing. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but just because I'm a pastor, just because I'm on this stage and I'm giving a message, it doesn't mean that I've got a 100% track record when it comes to following God's commands. Yes, I went to Bible college. Yes, I graduated from Bible college. Yes, I have been a pastor for over 18 years. Yes, I love Jesus. I love his church. I love his people, usually. Like I said, we're still growing here. But even though all that is true, I still struggle with following God's commands all day, every day. And so a series like this is a great reminder of what matters, of what's really important. It's a great reminder and challenge to keep sharpening my focus on my relationship with God. And I know that I need reminders every now and then. I think we all need reminders from time to time. We need reminders to, to check our hearts, to check our motives, to check our intentionality. And I always need reminders that because of who I am and what I claim to be as a follower of Jesus, I need to continue doing things that align my heart with the heart of God. Because you see, the truth of it is, is that our hearts align with something. And whatever our hearts are aligned with affects the example that we set in our lives. And so if I am aligning my heart with the desires and the passions of the world, the way I live my life is gonna set that example of worldly desires and passions for other people to look at. But if I align my heart with the heart of God, that's gonna affect the example that my life sets as well. And that is where other people are gonna come to know and follow Jesus. The reason that we've been spending the summer looking at the 10 commandments is that even though God's word is clear and direct, our culture today is all about finding loopholes. 
And this is something that even as Christians, we, we struggle with this. We fall into the trap of trying to, trying to find ways to make life more about what we want. We're trying to find ways to create loopholes. We're trying to find ways to work around doing what God wants us to. Because even though we know what God's words are, we fall into the trap of saying and doing things that go against God's commands. But we believe that we're justified in the moment for whatever the reasons are. You know what I'm talking about. We, we've looked at this all summer. One of the easiest examples, just to give you quickly, is when it comes to lying. We know what God's word says about lying. It was one of the commands we looked at, you shall not lie. But man, I really don't wanna hurt their feelings. I don't wanna make them look bad. And so I know God tells me not to lie, but because I care about this person, I don't want to hurt them, I'm gonna lie. Now, for me, one of the areas that I try to create loopholes with is not, you know, a lying thing or any of that. I just try to find a workaround when it comes to eating because I like food and I've had a relationship with food my entire life, like a lot of us have, but I always try to justify unhealthy eating habits. I'll look at it and go, well, you know what? Well, eggs are protein. Protein's good for you. Dark chocolate has antioxidants. It's got other minerals that are good for you. Therefore, dark chocolate brownies are a health food. And my wife calls me on it every time, but I will fight you on this one because I want my dark chocolate brownies. Now, now, now don't get me wrong here. There are legit areas of life where there is gray area. There's ambiguity in many areas of life. There's even gray areas when it comes to spots in our faith. There are places where scripture does not speak into something or it stays silent on a particular topic or it just doesn't take a definitive position. And what's dangerous is when Christians try to create gray area in our faith where scripture does speak clearly or we try to make definitive statements where scripture doesn't. And this is why the 10 commandments are important. Because the Ten Commandments, they show us God's character. And God's character has been clear and consistent from the beginning. There are no gray areas when it comes to the heart of God. Now, throughout the entirety of Scripture, we see multiple commands and multiple rules that God gives to us. And like we've said, not all of them still apply to us today, but a lot of them do. And for the laws and the commands that still apply to us today, they all fall into one of two themes. Love God, love others. Every rule, every law, every command, every guideline that we see is to either help us love God or love other people better. And that is what the Ten Commandments are all about. Now, since this is the last week, it means that we've covered all of the commandments except for one. And I could put you on the spot. I could ask you, do you know which one we're talking about? Which one have we done yet? But I'm feeling nice. I'm feeling generous. And so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. Now, let's go ahead and let's get this out there. Our initial response to the command of you shall not steal is probably, well, I don't do that. But if we remember back to our responses throughout this series to the commands that we've seen, we, we've probably had the first initial responses of, well, I don't have idols, I don't covet, I don't lie. But if we've learned anything from going through the commandments is that they go deeper than just the surface level we see through the words of you shall not steal, you shall not kill, you shall not covet. And so while our response to the command of you shall not steal is probably, well, I, I don't steal, well, let's jump into that a little bit more. See, when it comes to the Ten Commandments, we, we tend to have one of two responses. We see the commands that God gives to us, and we may respond with going, well, that's common sense. Like, I, I get that. I understand that. I see the reasoning behind it. Or 
we see the commands that God gives to us and our response is, well, that's just controlling. See, anytime we're given a rule to follow, we either view it as common sense, we understand it, or we see it as a sense, a means, a ways to try and control who we are and what we do. And this is something we don't just see in the Ten Commandments. It's not even just within religion. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. See, as parents, we set rules, we set guidelines for our kids to help protect them, to help them learn boundaries, to set those boundaries in their lives. Don't play in the street. Don't talk to strangers. Don't use your swing set to climb onto the garage roof and then try to jump off acting like you're Superman. I'm just spitballing here. That is, you know, just an example I thought of. But whenever we give these commands, we give these rules as parents, it's because they're common sense to us. We as adults, we look at this and we go, we know the purpose behind this, but kids don't view it that way. They hear the rules that we set and their typical response is, well, you just don't want me to have any fun. It's easy for people to look at the Ten Commandments and to view it as a way of going, well, you know, that's just God or that's just religion trying to control me, trying to tell me what I can or what I cannot do. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever had that, that mindset about God? Of he, He's just this big eye in the sky, this police officer mentality, this God that just doesn't want you to have any fun. Here's the thing. Rules are not something that we're unfamiliar with. In fact, most of us, we've got rules in most areas of our lives, and for the most part, we don't have a problem with the majority of them. Most of us grew up in households that have rules. We have jobs that have rules. We live in a society with rules. And for the most part, those rules are not out of our parents or our bosses or the government's desire to control every aspect of our lives. Don't get too caught up on the government part there. Just stick with me here. You see, the laws are there, the rules are there, the commands are there to help set boundaries, to help protect us, to help create a better life experience. Parents tell us not to touch the stove because they know what will happen if we do. Bosses set guidelines so that they can create a positive work experience and environment for everybody involved. The government sets laws to try and prevent mass chaos. And so why is it that when it comes to the commands and the rules of God, do we suddenly have a problem with authority? See, I think the, the honest moment that we have to have here is we look at it and we go, Oh, it's just easier to love the world's ways than God's ways a lot of the time. It seems like the world asks less of us than what God asks. And it seems like the world's ways, they just tend to be more fun than what God says we can or cannot do. But the truth is, is that I mean, God's ways have always been opposed to the ways of the world. And the truth is, is that God's word is clear when it comes to what he asks us to do and not do. God has never had a problem with clarity. God has always been clear in what he says. It's our human side that wants to find the wiggle room. God gives clear and direct rules and commands and guidelines. We are the ones who want to try to find loopholes and try to find ways around it because we struggle with the idea of surrendering fully to something other than ourselves. And Jesus actually spoke about this in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same 
will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. See, here's where our struggle comes in. You see, God set the example of what it looks like to live a godly life. He sent Jesus to show us what it looks like to live a God-focused life. And what living a God-focused life looks like is following the commands that God has given to his people. And Jesus set the example in how to do this. We see Jesus have interactions with multiple people where he reinforces the commands that God gives. He addresses adultery with the woman at the well and with the woman who is brought before him with a crowd of men around her ready to stone her for her actions. He addresses idols when he talks about money, which he did a lot. And whenever he talks about wrong motives and issues of the heart, he addresses stealing when he interacts with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who could take money however, whenever, how much ever he wanted to. But Jesus lived out the Ten Commandments, and we are told to follow his example. And we see this multiple places throughout Scripture where it tells us to live in the ways that Jesus did. I'll just give you one example right now. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. It says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. See, if we claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are called, we are given the command to live as he did, to follow his example. And if you know anything about Jesus, you already see the problem here. Because Jesus was perfect. He lived out the law perfectly. He loved people perfectly. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Even when Jesus got angry, his anger was perfect. Everything he did was perfect. And so when we ask God how we should live our lives and he responds telling us that we should be like Jesus, our initial reaction is probably one of confusion or maybe some uncertainty or maybe even frustration. Well, how can I be like Jesus how can I live up to that? He was perfect. I'm not perfect. And you're right. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody is perfect. And if we spend any time looking at God's laws and lining up our life with what God asks of us, we know that we're not perfect. If we've learned anything from looking at the Ten Commandments, it's that we know that the commands go deeper than what they seem like on the surface level. The command to not kill is more than just not taking someone's physical life. The command to not lie is more than just not being purposefully deceptive. And it's the same thing when it comes to the command to not steal. Because again, like many of the commands, when we hear the command, do not steal, we think, I'm good, I don't do that. I uh, don't take things that aren't mine, at least not things that are important, not things that matter, not things that you know, other people aren't already doing. Uh, I'm not going into the store and filling my cart and just walking out without paying for it. I'm not living out Grand Theft Auto out there. I'm good, I don't steal. But it goes deeper than that. So when it comes to the command to not steal, there's two parts to it. There's two ways that it plays out in our lives. So the first way, part one of this command is don't steal from people. Now, this is the normal way that we think of stealing, taking something that belongs to somebody else. Somebody sees something another person has, they want it without going through the proper ways of getting it, and so they choose to steal it. Or in other instances, people will use theft as a way of retaliation or a way of intimidation, a way to get an advantage over somebody else. Maybe in the early stages of life, stealing was something that, that was done to gain popularity or gain acceptance or whatever other reasons. 
Now, obviously, a lot of us, we look at this and we know that this is wrong. It's wrong from the viewpoint of the governing authorities who have put laws into place to prevent and punish stealing. And it's also wrong from the viewpoint of God. You see, the things that people have are things that God has entrusted them with. Regardless of our thoughts of whether or not they deserve it, we don't get to make that call. That is not something that we get to do. Our God is a good God, and he gives good gifts to his people as he sees fit. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything that we have is from God. And so to steal something from another person is a direct attack against what God has done for them. Now, what will typically happen when you get into this conversation about stealing and you start making these, these commands real and, and saying that, that this is a wrong thing, you'll have people who come in and they want to try and, and spin the ethical card here. They, they want to come and go, well, would you steal a loaf of bread to feed your starving family? Now, obviously, that is a tough situation to be in. And while this is a real problem and a real situation and a real choice that real people are forced into at some times, the people usually asking this question, they're not in that situation. Now, see, the, the reason they're asking this question is because they wanna just make a point and they wanna prove that you're a hypocrite, that you don't live up to what you're asking other people to do. They're just trying to stir the pot, trying to create loopholes so that we can find wiggle room in what God's commands are. Because in most cases, it's not a moral or an ethical dilemma that we face when stealing happens. When most people steal, it's simply for personal gain. People steal out of coveting or they steal out of jealousy or out of selfishness. But no matter why it happens, this act of stealing is not something that God desires for us. And what it all comes down to is this, stealing shows a lack of love for others. Now the easy, most simple way to address this issue is to ask the question, do you want somebody to steal from you? If you're a normal person, your answer is gonna be, no, I don't want somebody to steal from me. I'd like to see you try. But if you're a normal person, you give the answer of, no, I don't want people to steal from me. The next logical question is, well, why would you steal from someone else? To which again, you would probably say, I don't steal. But stick with me here for a moment. There's this place in scripture that we've, we're probably all familiar with. Someone comes up, they ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 37. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So someone comes up to Jesus, they ask, Jesus, what is the greatest command? And he responds, love God, love people. Specifically, he says, love your neighbor. And that command to love our neighbors is something we see multiple places in the Bible. In Mark chapter 12 and Romans chapter 13, we see the command to love our neighbors. But this goes deeper than we might just initially think of the people who live in the houses next to us. Yes, they are included, but it's so much bigger than that. 
this command goes everywhere that we go. Because when we look at the original language, this word neighbor means anyone who is close or nearby. And so this means that just like God goes with us anywhere we go, the commands that he gives to us, those go with us wherever we go as well. And so it is in our homes, it is in our neighborhoods, it's in our communities. This mindset follows us into the marketplace and into the workplace, anywhere where we are around other people or we interact with others. Loving God and loving others is always shown through our actions. And so what does it say or what does it show if and when we choose to steal from someone else. Well, it conveys the idea, the belief, our truth that, well, we're, we're more important. We're, we're worth more. Our needs are greater than the needs of whoever the other person is. And you, again, are probably thinking, I know, I agree, I don't steal. But here's the thing. Most of us don't think of ourselves as people who steal because the things that we do, well, they, just, they just seem so small or so inconsequential or they don't even feel like stealing at all. So let's start with the most basic example. How many of you have ever gone to a fast food restaurant, you've gone up, you've ordered your food, they ask you the next question, would you like something to drink with that? You say, oh, I just want some water. And so they give you your water cup. And you know it's a water cup because it looks vastly different from all the other cups. It's a little clear thing or something where it is different. You take your water cup, you go over to the machine, you walk past the water, you fill it up with Coke. Really? Come on, like you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna go there. That's a, that's a pretty weak argument. I mean, is that even really considered stealing? Well, you said that you were doing this which in this instance, you are getting a free product and then you go over and you take something that isn't free. Yeah, I'd say that's stealing. Let's look at home real quick. How many of you enjoy Netflix? Man, I knew you were gonna go there. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. How many of you enjoy Netflix, but you're using someone else's account, using someone else's password? Come on, I know that that's not, that, uh. You know what the contract is? You know what the terms and conditions are? Choosing to go against that, doing something that you said you're not doing. Stealing is stealing, whatever it looks like. Let's look at work. How many of you consistently show up late or you leave early without marking the timesheet accordingly? Or you leave the meter running while you're on personal business or you take a long lunch while you're still on the clock or you use business and company resources for personal uses. All of these things are things that may seem small, they may seem trivial, they may not seem like a big deal. They may seem socially acceptable because everybody's doing it. Some of them might even seem petty. But we know what it is if we're truthful and honest with ourselves. And we know that even the small things add up. Think of it this way. If I was to throw a penny at you, it might, it might sting a little bit. You might notice it. You might not even notice it. I could probably even throw two or three pennies at you and you may not even feel it. But what if I threw a roll of pennies at you? 50 pennies all put together in one package and I throw that at you. Well, you're probably gonna feel that, aren't you? That's gonna make a little bit more of an impact. What if I dropped a suitcase full of pennies on you? Now see, I could look at it and go, well, what's the big deal? It's just pennies. A penny is a penny. It weighs the same if it's one. You know, you just have, then have a lot of them put together. What's the big deal? It doesn't really matter. A penny is a penny. It's a small thing. It doesn't have that big of an impact. 
and that would be true. But what happens is when you add more and more and more into the equation, that's when we start to get more serious. That's when we feel the impact more, and that is what stealing is like. Whatever it is, no matter how small, no matter how inconsequential it may seem, how insignificant it may be to you or to other people, small things add up. And it doesn't matter what the scale is. When we go against what God tells us to do, we know we're in the wrong. Because anytime we steal, it's something where we're simply just being dishonest. And we've talked about this with other commands. Stealing in any form or fashion, it compromises our honesty and our integrity. Two things that God values highly from his people. And since we're called to love God and love others, how we interact with other people, it matters. Because it's hard for us to love others in a godly way if we're stealing from them. And here's where maybe it's not connecting for you. Maybe you're like, you know, that, that's not something that's a problem in my life. There's obviously going to be some more to this. Because the, the command to not steal, it goes beyond just taking physical things from other people. The command to not steal, it also affects our interactions with people on an emotional and an intellectual level as well. I think we're all probably familiar with, with things that we call joy stealers. These are things where you can be having a great day, but this small negative thing happens and it just ruins your whole day, your whole experience. And we've, we've dealt with these things before. You're having a great day, man. Things are going well. You woke up on time. You got the kids out on time. You, man, traffic is smooth. There was no line at Starbucks. You are at work killing it. It is a great day. And then it happens. Now, nothing big. And in fact, it's usually something quite small. You're having a good day and then you have a few moments, you decide to jump on social media just to check in and you see a post from that person or from that news channel. You're having a good day, but then you hear one small negative comment from a coworker or from a spouse or things are going well, but then man, it's just that small thing that happens this small interaction with someone who's got a negative attitude, that's one thing that kind of dampens your spirit, and there it goes. Your joy has been stolen. You've been robbed of it. Now, I think we all have experience with that, but the challenge is this. Do we know when we are the ones stealing other people's joy? Is your attitude or is your way of doing things preventing someone else from having an experience with the good things of God? Are you letting your preferences or your priorities get in the way of what God wants to do? And where this gets tough is when we start thinking about the people that we don't really like, the, the people that annoy us, the people that make life difficult, the people we think about and go, you know what? I don't really care if they have a bad day. I, I hope they kind of do. They're a jerk. Those are still people that matter to God. Every person that we interact with is someone that God has created in his image and is someone that we are called to love and help them find and follow Jesus. But maybe for you, stealing joy is not an issue. You, you typically have a positive disposition. People like being around you. You're a great coworker. Things are good there. What about at home? What about with your family? What about with your spouse, with your kids? Are you robbing your family of opportunities to grow because you are just comfortable with where things are? Are you robbing your kids or your spouse of the gift of just simple time with you because you're just too tired or you're too stressed or from the moment you come in the door, you are just staring at your dumb phone the whole time? 
Are you, you and your spouse or are you and your children, are you missing out on what God might be waiting to do in and through you because you just don't think that you've got the time to give or to serve or to just you know, invest somewhere else or you know what, it's too much work to get up and get out of the house and so we're just gonna stay home, watch church online week after week after week and not be in physical community. Who's got time for a small group anyway? You see, God is always at work but we can limit what he does if we're unwilling to put forth the effort. And that takes us to the second part of this command. Part one of this command is don't steal from people. Part two is don't steal from God. See, even though God is all-knowing and God is all-powerful, we can still hinder his work when we rob him of our time, our treasures, and our talents. And what that simply means is that when we don't use our time to help people connect intentionally with God and with others, we're robbing God. When we don't use our, our, our time and our efforts to serve sacrificially and we use the talents and the skills that God has given us when we don't use the things that God has equipped us with to serve his kingdom and to help other people find and follow Jesus, we're robbing God. And when we aren't giving generously of our time and of our monies and of our possessions or we're not giving those things to help people experience Jesus, we're robbing God. Now, does God need those things from us? Absolutely not. Can we really limit God's power through our withholdings? Absolutely not. But will we see our faith grow? Will we see the kingdom advance and more people come to know and to trust Jesus when we are generous with our time and our abilities and our money? Absolutely to go back to the words of James, every gift that we have is from God. Everything that we have is from God. And the reason that God gives us the gifts that we have is so that we can use them for kingdom investment. God gives us the blessings that we have so that we can turn around and use those blessings to bless other people so that they can come to know and trust him. But when we choose to put more importance on the things we have rather than on God, we're stealing from what God might do. So as we start to wrap up this series, we're gonna come back to this idea we've been talking about throughout the entire summer. It's the idea, it's the practice, it's the discipline of obedience. Now being obedient to God is something that is 100% up to you. It's a choice that is 100% up to you, just like choosing to follow Jesus. Nobody can make you choose those things. It is something that every individual has to choose on their own. But the great news is that when we choose to trust and to follow Jesus, we don't have to guess about what the rest of our lives should look like. When we choose to follow Jesus, we don't have to guess at what it is he wants us to do. We don't have to guess at what areas of life God wants us to be obedient in. Scripture speaks again and again about God's desires for us to be obedient to his commands. And it's not because he wants to control us. It's because he wants to bless us. It's because he wants to use us in his redemption work that is happening in our world. And it's through our obedience to God that we show our love for God. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said it simply, he said, if you love me, keep my commands. And then in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. See, when you choose to enter into a relationship with God, when you choose to enter into a covenant with God, 
we're choosing to live our life in a way that honors him in everything we say and do. We are voluntarily taking on this promise that we are gonna follow his commands to the best of our abilities. And the commands that God gives to us, they're the same today as they were when they were first spoken. But when God first spoke those words to Moses, when he first gave the commands to his people, those words weren't invented right there. These words, they reinforce what God has put on man's heart from before the beginning. Pastor F.B. Meyer said it this way. He said, it is wrong to steal or murder or covet, not primarily because these sins are forbidden by the Decalogue. That's just the 10 commandments. It says they are forbidden by the Decalogue because they were previously forbidden by conscience and are forbidden by conscience because they are forbidden by the nature of things. And the nature of things is God. See, from before the beginning of time as we know it, God has been constant. His character has never changed. When we came into the picture, his call for us to be his image bearers and his ambassadors here on earth has not changed. And God's call for his people to live and follow his commands so that they can help spread his love to all people has not changed. So like we've said before, one day all of us will stand before God and in that moment, we will have to account for what we did with our lives, the things that we did, the things we did not do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We will all one day stand before God and answer for how we lived our lives, what we did, what we did not do, how we were obedient, how we were not obedient. Those are things that we will have to own up to, we will have to account for, there will be rewards with that, there will be punishment with that. That is how scripture speaks about what our moment after this life will look like. But we also know throughout scripture that God blesses our obedience to his word. In Romans 2.13, it says, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. I think we all know that in our world today, it is getting harder and harder to live following the clear-cut, God-based moral laws of Scripture and not following our individual sense of right and wrong or even our individual interpretation of what God's word means. But God's word always has been, it always will be clear. We know what God asks of us to do. The question is, will we follow? Because the call for people who follow Jesus has not changed and the reward for obedience to God's commands are infinitely better than anything this world has to offer. And the rewards that God has for us, they play out here and now in this world and in eternity that is to come. And so here's what I want to invite you into as we close out today. I wanna invite you to accept the challenge to honestly evaluate your relationship with God and your relationship with obedience to his commands. How are we really doing at following God, at loving God, at loving others? And I need you to know this is for me too because this challenge is ongoing until we are face to face with Jesus. Now, the intent here, the, the motive behind this ask, it's not so that we can just build up a room full of good church people. It's not so we can check the boxes. Remember, the goal of the Ten Commandments is to always be looking to align our hearts with the heart of God. 
And so as we go into the days from here forward, I wanna encourage you to make it a normal part of your conversation with God to ask him to reveal any ways in which we might be robbing others or robbing him of what he wants to do. And if you wanna take that challenge to the next level, invite a spouse, invite a trusted friend, invite a parent or a mentor into those conversations with you. Take this opportunity, since we all need reminders, set a reminder in your phone, set a reminder in your calendar to have these conversations. And when you have these conversations, here's some questions that you can ask. God, am I doing anything that is hindering your work in and through me? God, is my heart aligned more with the ways of the world or aligned more with your heart? God, where are you leading me to be more obedient? And will you help me get there. See, the opportunities for obedience, the opportunities for kingdom investment, they are always around us. We are invited by God to make a difference in the here and now and to make a difference in eternity. How cool is that? And what's even cooler is that we don't have to guess at what it is God asks of us. Again, he has been very clear. We know what God has called us to do. The challenge is man, let's work together and let's encourage each other to go after God like never before. And so here's what I want to do today with every head bowed, with every eye closed. Whenever we get into the moments and the conversations and the invitation to follow God, there's usually some hesitation. And the hesitation usually comes from this internal struggle where we think we're not good enough. I don't have things together. I don't have my ducks in a row. I don't even know where my ducks are. Like we, we have this internal battle that we're not good enough to start approaching God yet. Man, I wanna tell you, you don't have to have your life together to come to Jesus. You don't have to be perfect before starting a relationship with him because if we know anything, we know that perfection, man, that went out the window a long time ago. But we also know that with Jesus, there's hope. We know that Jesus welcomes the imperfect. He welcomes the mess. He welcomes the mistakes because he is the one who can take care of them in ways that we never can on our own. You don't have to have your stuff together before you come to Jesus. In fact, he says, in the middle of your mess, that's when I want you to come to me. And so right now, if you're in that moment today where you feel like you've got nothing left, where you have tried everything on your own, you are tired of aligning your heart with the ways of the world and you are ready to focus your heart on God, but you need help, God welcomes you in in this moment. Scripture tells us that when we believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. It is in that moment that he steps in and his salvation work, his redemption work starts in your life. And so right now, I wanna thank you, God, for those who are saying yes to you. For those who are in that moment saying, God, I need your help, I need your redemption, I need your direction in being obedient. God, I pray that you would give them the strength to say yes to you, to let go of the ways of the world and to follow in your footsteps. God, I pray that you would silence the lies that we are not good enough or that we will never be good enough. I pray that you would get rid of the lies that we are never gonna be perfect. Man, God, I pray that you would just be with us that you will lead us where you need us to go. And God, for those of us who have made that decision, but we still are in the middle of our mess, God, help us to turn our hearts to focus on the things of you above everything else. Give us the strength and the eyes to look at you before the world. 
to trust in who you are, what you have done, what you will continue to do. I pray that you would allow us, man, allow us the opportunities, give us the, the wisdom to find them, and then trust that when we say yes to you, you do the work that we can't. And so God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for how you stepped in and saved us in the moment that we sin. God, we thank you for loving us. It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Well, hey, if you decided to take that, take that step today and make that decision to follow Jesus, we believe that is the best decision you can make and we wanna partner with you in that. So here's what I wanna ask you to do. Since we believe that nobody goes on this journey alone, we wanna walk through this with you. Take out your phone, text the word NEXT to 309-777-0677. And somebody from our team is gonna reach out to you this week to celebrate in this moment with you. Talk about what your next step in following Jesus looks like. But if you made that decision a long time ago and you've been following Jesus for a while, we believe everybody's got a next step in their faith journey. And so we want you to text the word next to that same number and we're gonna reach out to talk about what your next step looks like. It could be talking about baptism. It could be learning about jumping into a small group or rooted. It could be talking about what it looks like to serve here at Vail on a consistent basis. Whatever your next step is, we wanna partner with you in that because we all are on this journey together. I hope this summer has been a good, good reminder for us of what it looks like to be in relationship with Jesus, and we are excited for the days ahead as we continue to go after what living, living like God looks like in today's world. So thank you. We hope you have a great rest of the day, and we'll see you guys later.